All right. The cool thing is we got these people around the world who are our ministry partners who are serving in their communities. And we also send folks around the world. We call them missionaries. And they go to places that aren't their home, that don't feel comfortable to them to integrate themselves into a culture and remain loyal to their Lord so that they can win people to Christ. And that's an amazing choice that they make and an amazing calling on their life. But we all have a calling like that to make a difference in the culture that we live in. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Think about home. When you hear the phrase home, what comes to mind? What is home for you? Maybe it's the house that you grew up in, or maybe it's time somewhere with your mom and dad, or the hometown uh, back that you came to college away from, or maybe it's the house you live in right now. Maybe you spent a lot of time and energy to construct the home of your dreams, and now you have it and you've decorated it the way you want. But think about what home is for you. What does it feel like? Where is it? Get an image in your mind. Where is home? And then think about a place you've been that is as far from that as you can imagine. Maybe a trip you went on, a, a, a place in another country that you were, uh, a time in your life when you felt really distant from that home, try to get that image in your mind. And there should be some distinction between the two. Home for me at this point in my life is wherever Christina and I are together. But we've been some places that didn't feel like home. We, uh, we went to China one time. Christina loves to travel and uh, we were doing some work over in China. So we went, we went to China. It's a long way over there. So you fly for a really long time. And uh, we, got, we got over there and uh, we got there early in the morning, like seven o'clock in the morning. Christina can't sleep on airplanes very well. And uh, she is a passionately energized person, uh, whether that's for the good or the bad or the tired or the ugly or whatever. And so when we landed, she wasn't in the happiest of moods. Um, and uh, I was exhausted too. We're wiped out and we have to wait in the airport for a few hours for these missionaries to come get us. And in China, you got to be really careful because they're over there serving in a place where they're not supposed to be and they're not supposed to be talking about God. So they're very confidential and quiet about, you know, who they are and, and uh, the fact that they're missionaries. And we've been briefed on how to be careful about how we, you know, speak around them. Well, we get on the bus and we're just so excited. Christina and I are like, we just need to pray and thank Jesus that we made it here. And the missionaries start getting scared and they're, they're like, you gotta quiet down, quiet down. So we had totally forgot everything we had been trained on. And then when you go to another place like that, they, they don't want you to sleep. Like when you get there, they try to get you back on the schedule of the country that you're in. So they take us to the Great Wall of China and we're walking along there and Christina and I are in conflict because I'm walking on the edge of the wall and she thinks I'm gonna fall off. And uh, she thinks I don't care enough about her or the family to be safe in situations like that. And so then we get away from that and we end up at this orphanage and uh, this orphanage, these, these amazing people are taking care of these orphans and uh, it comes time to eat with the orphans and they bring out this tree fungus soup. Literally, that's what they call it, tree fungus soup. Well, I, I survive in other cultures like that by, by taking my own stuff. So I can go 14 days on peanut butter crackers if I have to, and I'm willing to do it. I'm not an adventurous eater. Like if we go to community pizza over here, I'm gonna get a cheese pizza. I don't know what all that other stuff is they're putting on there. Certainly I'm like that in another country. So Christina's mad because I won't eat the tree fungus soup and I'm, you know, I'm not respecting these folks for sharing their soup. And I'm like, these people are hungrier than I am and they like the soup. I'm trying to share my soup with them. We were having a terrible time. 
terrible time. And actually, the tree fungus soup ended up making Christina sick, and so she spent a couple of days uh, in the restroom and uh, not happy at all. And so we were ready to get home. Like, I, you could not pay Christina enough money to go to China. You couldn't. She won't, she won't do it. She won't do it. Because it wasn't home, man, and we, we felt very distant. You know the difference between home and being somewhere else in your spirit, in your heart. And the reality is it's not just a physical location. We were designed with this longing. And when we feel an alienation from where we're supposed to be, we have this longing that comes in that causes us to feel angst and anxiety and desire to be somewhere else. We weren't created for the world we are currently living in. We were created for intimate fellowship with the Lord in a garden that he created for us. And ultimately, we will get back there and with him. But this isn't it. This isn't home. And so Pastor Jose introduced this new series about living in exile. And we're going to talk about the prophets and how they teach us things about living in a place that's not your home. Now, I got to tell you, I'm a psychologist by training. If you don't know much about my story, uh, I, I'm not a theologian. Um, I did not go to seminary. And so when Jose looks at us in team meeting and says, we're going to teach from the Old Testament, I kind of crawl under the table and hope he doesn't see me and forgets that I'm supposed to be part of the teaching rotation. Because I don't understand everything about the Old Testament. There's stories back there that are confusing to me. There's stuff that I know I don't have enough knowledge about. So I'm trying to kind of hide from that. And then he says the prophets. And I'm like, I don't know what I don't know which prophet and how to, how to do that. So it was a little intimidating for me, but the reality is I love where his heart is and where this series is going because we all live in exile and there's lessons we can learn from that that apply today very much so. Matter of fact, he talked about three lessons we can learn from the exile. And the first is that this isn't home. We were designed for more than this. It's not home. Second is that our sin separates us from God and causes us to stay in this exile place. That's why Adam and Eve got kicked out of the home that was designed for them because of their sin and because of their choices. And then the third point is that we will see over and over again in these studies from the prophets is that God is faithful regardless of how far away from home we are. He will pursue because he desires relationship with us. So what do we do with that? We're living in exile in a place that's not home. How are we supposed to live and how are we supposed to represent ourselves? Well, it turns out we got about three options when you go to another culture. Those missionaries that we send out, they've got three options when they go over there. When you go travel to another land, you've got about three options. Number one is that you can rebel with dissension. When you end up in exile, you can be like, I am not gonna put up with anything going on here. I'm not gonna live out any of these values, any of these cultural things that are going on. I'm going to just be myself and be my own person. I'm going to pull away. And we get people that do that here in the world, even people that know the Lord. They're like, we're going to pull ourselves away. We're going to go to a monastery. We're going to become monks. We're going to get as far away and as far removed and as distant from the culture as we can possibly get. And we'll show them because we won't have anything to do with them. That's an option. The other option is the other end of the continuum. And those people decide, you know what, we're just going to blend in and become part of the culture and the fabric of what's going on there. We're going to adopt their values. We're going to be loyal to their gods. We're going to do what they do. We're just going to look like the rest of the culture. If you live in exile in a different place, that's an option for you too. The cool thing about 
these prophets is they teach us that there's a middle ground where we integrate into the culture and yet we remain loyal to the God and the values that we uphold. That's what missionaries have to do when they go to a different place. That's what we have to do if we want to succeed in being ambassadors for the Lord in a land that is increasingly hostile to what we believe. And today, the prophet we're going to talk about, Daniel, teaches us some really valuable lessons about this, how to do that balance. How do you integrate into the culture and at the same time remain loyal to the values and the God who leads and directs you? Because that's not easy. Daniel uh, was, uh, man, 2,600 years ago is the time in history that this was happening. And so, you know, sometimes you think, well, what, what can history teach us? Man, there, that's what blows me away about this Bible and, and this book in particular, is that there's some valuable lessons from 2,600 years ago. See, in 587 BC, the Babylonians kind of came into God's, you know, chosen land for his people, where the Israelites were, and in Jerusalem in particular, an attack. And over the course of battles and time, uh, they end up defeating the Israelites. And then in 586 BC, they start taking people from the city into, into Babylon. So that's where the exile happens. They're pulling God's people into this foreign land with foreign gods, foreign idols, foreign cultures. And uh, there's four guys in particular that the book of Daniel kind of revolves around. Uh, and these four guys are a part of the royal family of David. So they're Tried and true Israelites, they have been trained, they are leaders, and they are being pulled out into this other culture. And the first six chapters of Daniel talk about these guys. It kind of tells the story of them, in particular Daniel and these other three buddies, and kind of the trials and tribulations they go through. And then the chapters 7 through 12 talk about some visions and some kind of future-oriented things, and there's interpretation required with that. We're going to focus on the first part, those first six chapters of Daniel, and the, because that's where I think the most application is for us today in this idea of exile. But as we think about it, uh, I want you to do something for yourself, because if we apply it to you, it's going to stick and maybe help you get home with something that makes a difference. When you think about that idea of being integrated into a culture, um, but remaining loyal to the God and the values that you uphold, where is that the most challenging for you? Give it a thought for a moment. Where is it most tempting for you to kind of lean a little maybe more into the culture and just, just kind of be like everybody else? You know, I, I see it in, in the pace of life that, that we live sometimes. We just kind of live the same life as everybody else in the world, even though the Bible, the values we believe in say, be patient, wait on the Lord to renew your strength. Be still and know that I'm God. Yet, as a family, sometimes we're running around so fast, we, just, we look just like every other family in the world. Sometimes that's the place that we've gone past integration and into, we've just, we, we're conforming to what the world says. Here in Wimberley, and probably in San Marcos, Dripping Springs, kind of the, the group of folks that come here that are watching online, I see sometimes we conform a little too much around the idea of family. We actually can make family an idol. Like, as opposed to God being the center, it's like our family is the most important thing. Are our kids getting raised the way they're supposed to? Are they getting the activities they're supposed to? Are we kind of getting the time together we're supposed to? And we put family over, over God. Got to be careful. 
that we don't conform too much to that look. Now, family's important. Believe me, if you don't know God, family's the next best thing you can hang your hat on. But if you do know God, then you put him first and then you allow him to bless your family and the way you raise him. So be thinking about where is it the hardest for me to integrate but remain loyal? I was talking to Rob. He uh, founded the church after the last sermon. And he was talking about how on you know, the school board and in different arenas in his life, how difficult it is to figure out how do I integrate in yet remain loyal and not get over there where I rebel with dissension or not get over there where I just completely adapt everything that's going on around me. It's challenging for all of us. But Daniel gives us some answers. He gives us some hope and some clarity in the way that, that he does it. Jose said last week that uh, all these prophets kind of balance a couple of things, realistic optimism. And he said they're realistic because they tell it like it is. They talk about the sin that causes the exile that they experience. And then they also are willing to point toward and, and desiring and hopeful to point toward a savior who is to come and a God who will rescue them. Daniel's no different. Throughout, you will see stories in Daniel that talk about how hard it is to live in a culture where you're supposed to bow down to other idols and you're supposed to pray to the king of Babylon and not to the Lord of Lords. They talk about how challenging it is to be asked to do things that are against what you believe and the realism of that. And then yet at the same time, he points toward the influence that they ultimately have whenever they stick to what they believe in. There's a powerful imagery in there too. I mean, there's this realism in Daniel about how when humans turn away from God, like they move toward this kind of, we just become like animals and even all the way to the point of beasts. And there's these images of horns and wings and stuff that I don't even, can't even completely understand or get my mind around, but it's in there because that's what happens to us if we turn away from God. That's the real, realistic side of things. But the optimistic side, which he always comes back to in the dreams and in the visions and the interpretations, is that God will come back and he will rescue his people and he will establish his kingdom. It's always that tension between the realistic and the optimistic, which is what we live in too. It's hard down here sometimes. It's hard even in this great country we live in. But man, we have hope for more. Daniel teaches us how to hold on to that. In uh, John chapter 17, you know, I think Jose mentioned this last week, but the phrase um, in the world, but not of the world, have you guys heard that phrase before? Um, it, it doesn't directly translate, but uh, I mean, like there's not an actual phrase that says that exactly in the Bible, but what we usually go to is uh, John chapter 17 where it talks about that. Starting in verse 14, it says, I have given them your word and the, word ha the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. So there's the not of the world part. And then he goes on in verse 15, Jesus is interceding on behalf of his uh, disciples and his friends to the Lord. He says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Now that's important. Let's stop right there because sometimes I'm hanging out with you guys and I hear some of you say, I'm just ready for Jesus to take me. I'm praying Jesus will take me. I'm praying that it will all end. I'm praying this and that. Well, Jesus right there says, don't be praying that you'll be taken out of here. Matter of fact, Jesus says, I'm not praying that they get taken out of there. Why? 
Because if we all get taken out of here, who's going to be light to that world that desperately needs us? Who's going to go out there and serve? Who's going to go out there and love? Who's going to go out there and be ambassadors? So don't pray that you get taken out, but realize, remember, that you're not of the world. And he goes on to say in the next few verses, they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. There's the rest of it. We are not of this world, but we are sent into this world. We need to take the light into a world that desperately needs it. We need to figure out how to integrate, but remain loyal. How do we balance that? Daniel teaches us some of those things. So let's uh, jump into that. This idea of getting launched into a different environment. I don't know, some of you may have experienced this. I know I'm older than, than a lot of you. Some of you college students, your um, parents experienced it probably recently. But uh, man, the first time we had Taylor, she was our first one and we took her up to college and we dropped her off. And uh, we cried, most, I cried. Most, was, Christina might've cried a little. Um, but I cried a lot, and uh, for like the 30 minutes, first 30 minutes after, we, and then we looked at each other literally, and we both had the same thought. Like, we didn't teach her everything. Like, she's not ready. There's no way she's ready. We didn't teach her. What did we forget? Like, there's so much we should have taught her before we dropped her off. And that's just the reality of what's had to have been going on with Daniel, because this Daniel guy and his four buddies, three buddies, the four of them, it says the scholars believe that they were early teenage years when they got taken into captivity. 14, 15 years old. Now think about the teenagers in our community group. Man, Haley, Risa, Gwen, Cody. I'm like, what would happen if they got taken into captivity? Have we taught them enough? We haven't. I'm sure we haven't. I mean, we haven't even taught Cody how to wash his clothes by himself, I don't think. <laughs> He's not ready. He's going to be wearing dirty clothes in that other country for years until <laughs> he figures it out. That's where Daniel was and his buddies. They were that age. Can you imagine? And yet still, we can learn some amazing lessons from this guy as he headed out. So what are some of those takeaways? Uh, the first application, I think. So again, I hope in your mind you've got something like, this is where it's tough for me to integrate in uh, without being swept away or rebelling against, but I know I need to remain loyal. Number one is that Daniel uh, wasn't willing to compromise his standards. Wasn't willing to compromise his standards. You get this right at the first. So Daniel chapter one, it says it this way. I'm gonna read a little more than's up there on the screen. So what happened was the king there in Babylon decided he needed to get some of these healthy young folks to come and kind of serve in his kingdom. So he said, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace were the ones chosen. They were to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. And then they were given a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Now, this is where, this is what's going on, and this is the challenge posed to them when Daniel says, you know what, I'm willing to do some of that that you have asked me to do, but not all of that. I'm willing to learn your literature. I'm willing to learn your language. I'm willing to integrate in, but I can't disobey 
the custom and I can't be disloyal to the fact that there are just certain things I'm not supposed to eat. So that's what he says down in verse eight. It says that Daniel purposed in his heart that he wouldn't defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Daniel purposed in his heart. If you're gonna enter into a foreign land and you're gonna try to hold on and be loyal to the values that have been placed inside you, you have to purpose in your heart what those are. What are those lines you're not willing to cross? I'm willing to do that. I, I, I'm willing to, I, I, wanna, I, I wanna have fun. I wanna enjoy life. I wanna hang out with people. But you know what? There's that line that I know God doesn't want me to cross. And I gotta purpose that in my heart before I show up in that situation or else I'm gonna shoot right past it. For you guys in college, man, I, I, I can't imagine how many things that are asked of you that end up crossing or violating that loyalty in, to the value system and the God that you've known and the challenges that that faces. And that's what was going on for Daniel. And there were tremendous consequences for them when they failed to violate those loyalties. But he wasn't willing to compromise certain standards. We've got to be careful, you guys. If, if we look so much like the world that people can't tell what makes us different, we've gone too far. If you've had somebody in your life for the last, let's say, six months, you've had somebody in your life for the last six months, you've been friends with them, kind of getting to know them, hanging out, doing stuff, and they don't know that you go to church, you're, you're not doing something right. If, if, if they haven't heard you pray or heard you say, hey, I see what's going on in your life, I'm gonna be praying about that, then you're looking too much like the world. We need to be integrated, but we've got to remain loyal. Daniel was saying, you know, I'll learn. I'll learn what you want me to learn, but there are certain behaviors I can't do and I'm not willing to do. How do you do that, though? How do you hold firm to that line? Well, you purpose it in your heart. That's step one. The second application that we can get from Daniel is that you need people alongside you because it's impossible to take on this culture by yourself. Man, for those of you sending kids to junior high or high school, they need buddies. They need people with the same values they have because if they get isolated there, they will get picked off. You may have heard me tell the story before, but we moved here as Taylor was about to start her freshman year in high school. And we said to her, you find four or five girls as quick as you can that have the same value system as you. And you bring them over here and we will tell them, we will take you on a trip wherever you wanna go in the world if you four or five girls can hold on to your faith, hold on to your virginity, not do anything inappropriate with any boys, not drink or smoke anything illegal or inappropriate in the time that you're in high school. Keep your grades up where they're supposed to be. That Taylor would tell you if she was here, that's what got her through. And one of them didn't make it. They didn't all make it. But the other three and Taylor did because they had each other. And that's the second point from Daniel. He had friends to encourage him. If we're fortunate, Ben's gonna teach. We are fortunate, Ben's gonna teach in a few weeks. But if we're fortunate, he's gonna teach on uh, some of these buddies. He might tell that story. But these guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were Daniel's other buddies. 
And, and man, they refused to compromise their standards to the point of they weren't willing to bow down to some idols that were created. And uh, the king found out about it, and so he threw them into this fire. And uh, God rescued them because of their faithfulness, because of God's faithfulness, and because of their loyalty. And uh, you think that didn't encourage Daniel for the rest of his life at different times to see how God had showed up for his friends, how willing they were to stand up? We need people like that around us. Who do you have? Seriously, I mean, who do you have that you know you could call and say, man, I'm just, I'm toast. I'm done. The enemy's defeated me. I'm beat up. I can't go any further. I just, I'm tired of it. I'm ready to walk away from my faith or my family or my marriage or my whatever. Who do you have that you can call that's gonna say, hold on a second, I'll be right there. You better have somebody. And if you don't have somebody, get yourself in a community group and find people around you that will support you when that happens. So Daniel had that with his friends. The third application I think we can get from Daniel is that God, that Daniel kept God the main thing. He did. No matter what, he kept God the main thing. The last three application points, this one and the next two, I'll take from Daniel chapter six. And if you wanna read a little bit about this later today, it would be the place I would encourage you. Just go to Daniel chapter six. Or if in your community group, you wanna read through Daniel chapter six, these last three application points come from this. I'm gonna tell you the story that happens there. Basically, uh, man, the king that Nebuchadnezzar that had kind of conquered and brought him over and the kind of they had eventually won favor and he had done the things with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, he had died and so had his son. There's a new king, Darius, at this point. And I don't know why these kings don't talk to each other and say, hey, you know what happened last time we messed with those Christian guys? This happened, but he didn't talk to them. So this kind of the whole story repeats itself, right? And at this point in, in Daniel chapter six, it's, it's down to just Daniel, and he's kind of winning favor and leading and doing more and more in the kingdom and having more and more responsibility. People begin to get jealous of him and that, and so they decide to make a rule. And the rule they make is that you can only pray to the king, King Darius. Can't pray to any other gods. You can't pray to anything else. And Daniel kind of says, man, I'm not doing that. So I'll keep loving people. I'll keep serving here, but I'm, I'm not praying to King Darius. I pray to my God. And they find out about it, and so they end up telling the king because it was a trap, and the king, even though he loved him, couldn't go back on his word, so he ends up throwing him into this lion's den. And uh, so that's the story you've probably heard about Daniel, is him being in the lion's den. That's all comes from Daniel chapter six. Let's walk through these points a little so we can apply them to ourselves. Daniel made God the central aspect of his life. So if you're in chapter six of Daniel, you can kind of turn to the verse that uh, applies to that. Let me get there. All right, they'll put it up on the screen as well. So it's 610, and it says this. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. So they made this law. If you don't pray, if you pray to any God other than Darius, you're gonna get thrown into the lion's den. Now, here's what would have happened if they did that in the United States, if it were me. So they, kind of new president comes in, he says, you can't pray any, to anybody except for, you know, the government of the United States, and uh, you pray to any other God, you're gonna be, you know, persecuted. Well, 
I'll tell you exactly what I would do. I'd be like, I'm not doing that. I'll show you. And I would go to my closet where nobody could see, and I would keep praying to my God. That's what I would do. Because the Holy Spirit goes in my closet. I know he does. That's not what Daniel did. Daniel went to the upstairs room of his house with windows facing out, just like he had always done, and he boldly prayed to his God. Because God was central in his life, regardless of the consequences. I think it's important for us, you guys, to think through that because I know a lot of you. I get to hang out with you. I know my home. And we don't always have God as central in our life. We would say that, but if you looked at us, you'd say, you know what? They kind of have their kids central in their life, honestly, based on how they spend their time and their energy and their resources. Or you know what? Work's kind of central in their life. Now, God's in there. I see God. I, I see them praying whenever work's not going good or the kids aren't behaving like they're supposed to. That wasn't the case for Daniel. He said God was central. We can integrate into the culture all we want, but when the people around you describe you, the people who know you, would they say that God is the most important thing? The fourth application point from Daniel um, is that because of the other points, Daniel was able to use his influence. Daniel used his influence. Multiple times you see that the king's of Babylon were influenced by the faithfulness of God showing up because of the loyalty of Daniel and his friends. They garnered influence. Multiple times, the kings of Babylon said, your God is higher than any God I've ever seen. Your God is higher than me because of the influence. That's the kind of influence we want to have. Um, the, the verse that kind of ties to that is that Daniel was so successful and he was so uh, good at what he does, did that he soon showed that he could do better work than the other supervisors or governors. Because he was so outstanding, the king, king considered putting him in charge of the whole empire. And uh, the other guys saw that. They noticed that. So in verse four, it says this. Then the other supervisors and the governors tried to find something wrong with the way Daniel administered the empire, but they couldn't because Daniel was reliable and he did not do anything wrong or dishonest. He lived his life in such a way that he had influence. People saw it. Um, Cage right over there. We took him to college a few years ago. And uh, your parents brought you guys to college or sent you to college or however they got you there. Um, and we, we don't know what he's doing over there. I don't even want to know what he's doing over there most of the time. I mean, Christina's got something on her phone that kind of knows where he is or what he's doing. I don't want to know. I, I don't. I remember when I was in college, and I didn't want my parents to know um, what I was doing some of the time. But Cade, uh, my favorite story is not about time on a football field or not about grades that he's making. But, you know, he called me on Sunday six months ago. I said, hey, how's it going? He goes, I'm exhausted. I'm like, what's wrong? He said, oh, man, at two in the morning, a guy on my team called me, on the football team called me, and the cops had him, and they were going to take him to jail and impound his car. But the cops said, if you got one guy that will come here and pick you up, take your car home, and promise to take care of you tonight, I'll let you go. And that dude didn't know the Lord. He didn't want to know the Lord. He didn't want to do right. He didn't want to act right, but he knew Cade and he called him. 
That's influence. That's what we need to be doing, you guys. We need to be an influence on our culture so that people see us as different. Daniel did that. Fifth point from Daniel is that uh, Daniel persevered through hardships. It's not gonna be easy. Jose started last week in John 16, 33 by saying, in this world, we will have trouble. This isn't home. When you're not home, it's not supposed to be easy. The food's not supposed to taste good. The beds aren't supposed to be soft. The air conditioning is not supposed to work. That's how it goes. But Daniel persevered to the point of persecution. Being thrown into a lion's den I don't, years ago, I was watching The Tonight Show and uh, Jay Leno was the host back then. Most of you are too young to even know who that is. That's sad to me. Um, but before Jimmy Fallon, there was a guy named Jay Leno. There was a dude even before that, but I don't know if anybody in here remembers that guy. Um, man, y'all, they, they waved. They were proud. That was good. I'm glad. Jimmy Carson, absolutely. All right, Johnny Carson. It's not even Jimmy Carson. But anyway, they had, he had Matthew McConaughey on. Len, Leno did. And this, he was talking about West Texas, his ranch in West. So I perked right up, man, because we got a ranch in West Texas. And uh, McConaughey's telling this long extended story like only he can, and it's rambling around. And, you know, I think he's on something, you know, he's going and he's talking. But he talked about the ranch that he bought had this pit. And, and Leno was like, well, what's, what was in the pit? He goes, it was this huge hole, and it's where for years they just threw the rattlesnakes when they caught them on the ranch. And like the people were like, what? There's a pit. And they do that out there. I don't know why. I guess they don't like to kill stuff. So they throw these rattlesnakes. There's just pits with rattlesnakes in them. And uh, Lynn, I mean, McConaughey had one on his ranch. I always thought that was the scariest thing in the world. Like, why would people do that? Like, I guess in case an Indiana Jones film wants to get shot out there or something. I don't know. But that, a lion's den, man. There was a den of lions. They would just throw meat in there and let the lions kind of go at it. And they threw Daniel into that. That's, that's persecution. That's hardship. And yet he said, you know what? I'm going to pray to my God. I'm not going to bow down to anybody else. And he was willing to persevere and stay the course through that. You may have to go through some hard stuff. You may have to go through some friends who reject you because you say no to something that they think you should say yes to. You may not be the most popular person in town. You may offend somebody because you pray when they think you shouldn't. But Daniel was willing to do that because he wanted to integrate but remain loyal. We got to figure out what that looks like for us. Tough decisions we may have to make because when the chips are down and things get bad, the darkness out there, the people in the darkness, they're looking for somebody who looks different than them. They're looking for a place for safety and wisdom and comfort and love. Let's be those people. Um, fast forward to the New Testament. Paul is talking to Titus in chapter three of Titus. And uh, I think it kind of summarizes this idea kind of well, uh, where he says this, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities. That's integration. Remind the people, hey, and this is what Jesus did. He told his folks the same thing. Hey, we got to pay taxes. We got to give to Caesar what Caesar's. We have to integrate into the culture. But he says these things, be obedient 
be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and always be gentle toward everyone. As we're integrating in, how about that list for just a second? They're gonna leave it on the screen. Think about it. Out of those six things, how are you doing with obedience? How are you doing with being ready to do whatever is good? Slander no one. That's the third one. You doing good with that? Four, be peaceable. Five, be considerate. Six, be gentle. Be gentle. Think about the list. How are we doing? In terms of integrating, but remaining loyal to the God who loves us so that we can do those things for the people around us. What a cool time, man, to live in. Because there's a lot of challenges and there's a lot of opportunity to be salt and be light in a world that desperately needs it. Now look at, man, these young faces out here. You high schoolers and college kids and junior high kids. And um, I can't imagine the world that we're launching you guys into, but I know the God that gets it. It's exciting, man. It's exciting here in Wimberley. It's exciting in San Marcos, Dripping Springs. Fun stuff this week in the high school. I mean, man, we got girls cross country team going to state, girls volleyball team going to state, high school Football team winning playoffs. Fun stuff going on. But the main thing is that there is this God who wants to reach every student, who wants to reach every young person. And we, older than young people, um, need to be an example of what that should look like. And I thank the Lord that he would use somebody like Daniel, 15-year-old-ish guy and his buddies, to teach us lessons that apply today. Let's pray.